And what does it mean to be in the church? Well, the, the word literally means ecclesia, those who are called out. Called out by God's grace. That God, I'm telling you, God is calling a people to make a new humanity that's different than any institution in the world. Trust me. We're going to see that Paul calls the church the body of Christ. He's the only one that uses that term. The body of Christ. Christ is the head. If, if you are united to Christ and you've been born again, you know what? Unlike any other religion, you're united to everybody else. We are members of each other. And so the church is more than an institution. It's, it's not, a, it's not a, just an organization. It's not just denominations. In fact, in the Apostles' Creed that we recite every Sunday, and if you were to sit back and look at it again, one of the things that we say every Sunday is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, which doesn't mean Catholic, Roman Catholic. It means a universal church. I believe that I'm part of the universal church, all those who are in Jesus Christ. But it also says, and the communion of saints. It's a communion. And there is no communion with one another if you're simply a member of the visible church. We are members of Christ. We're united to the vine, as Jesus says, and we bear fruit as believers. And we're to do that together. Clay, when you start your church, it's important to get in that DNA that it's not just individual Christians. Uh, but if you call uh, Good Shepherd, Good Shepherd, it will be uh, Good Shepherd, the people of God. So as we come to our text uh, today, and before we lay hands on these men, I think they understand the, the, the nature of the church. They've been trained. But I think it's important for us to understand what it means. So, so you will be easy to shepherd. And not difficult. Not stiff-necked. So, if you would, turn to our text. It's there here in, in the, the uh, bulletin. We believe this is the Word of God, and that's why we print it every Sunday. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace has given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. 
until we all attain of the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. You you did not leave us in the dark. And here before us, we have printed what you moved the Apostle Paul to write. Amazing things about being members of Christ and members of one another. Uh, Father, I first want to pray for those who are not united to Christ, that you would cause them to see the wonderful, gracious God that you are to sinners. And that they can know, they uh, can be part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That they can know uh, what it means to be adopted by you, to be called sons and daughters. And Father, I pray for Redeemer that we would be a church that's a body, not just an institution where we baptize children and marry people and bury the dead but that we are the living presence of Christ in this city. I pray for these men uh, who will be ordained and for their wives, their great partners, uh, that you would bless them as they come in weakness and fear. Uh, But Lord, that we as your people would submit uh, to their leadership as we seek to know what it means to actually really and truly Love each other. And so open this text now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, for for sake of time, because we have to ordain these guys, I need to actually uh, jump right in here into the text. Okay? No no introduction. Uh, But as I first started looking at at this text, and the reason ministers are to study the text is because it's living and try to understand What was God moving Paul to say? But the thing that jumped out at me was this, that Paul begins chapter 3, the chapter before the one we're looking at, the same way. I want to explain to you why, I think. First, in our verse, it says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. And then in chapter 3, you see Paul saying the same thing. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And if you'll notice, there's a little slash right there. Now, I want to explain why that's there uh, before I come to our text. Why does he do this? Why does he start over? Because in essence, that's what he does. He starts, and then he says something, and then he starts again. Well, let me tell you why. I don't know if you've ever studied Ephesians. 
Uh, but if you want to know about the church, that's what you study, the gospel according uh, to the church. What, what is a gospel-centered church supposed to look like? And I don't want to start off by being controversial here, but if you read chapter 1, he says that if you are a Christian, it is because God chose you before the foundations of the world. And then it goes on to say uh, that because of that, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because in love, he predestined us for the adoption of sons. Now think about that. If you're a Christian, you are a Christian by the grace of God. And he's made you alive. And so then he comes to uh, chapter 2. Uh, and in chapter 2, he begins to uh, address the, the Gentiles and, and says to all of us who are Gentiles, and, we're, and I'm not Jewish, but to all of us who are Gentiles, now the gospel through Jesus Christ, he's making one new Israel of all the nations. And he says, you who once were alienated Strangers to the covenants. Has he now brought near? And he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God in him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so he's saying now there's this one new society of people. John Stott uses the term new society in his commentary. And, and so Paul is ready to give the application. Okay, so if you're a Christian... And God has called you, chosen you, adopted you, given you the Holy Spirit. He's going to give the application. So he starts out in chapter 3. Therefore, I as a prisoner of the Lord. And then there's a line. And you know what happens after that line? All of a sudden, Paul starts going ballistic in a good way. He begins to pray. He begins to, he can't believe his own teaching. <laughs> that he was made an, as an apostle who actually killed Christians. Uh, to be one in God's grace who could minister the gospel to the Gentiles. And so now he picks back up on chapter 4. Uh, and he says it again, uh, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, and then he gets into the application, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and with gentleness, patience and bearing with one another in love. Now, believer, let me ask you this. If you're a believer, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, what is the life worthy of your calling? Why did God call you? Well, He didn't call me to be a preacher first. He called me to be a son. He called me by His grace. Uh, and, and if that is not the heart of everything that I do, then everything that I do really has no real point. But it all begins with that calling to himself. 
Well, <clears throat> I have to be brief on each of these points because there are four. And y'all know how long I am on three. And we have to ordain these guys. So I might cut and paste as I go. But let, let, me, let me give you four. Now, let me tell you where I got these from. I got these from John Stott as I was looking at his commentary. And, uh, and he breaks it out very nicely. And so I'll give you the, the, his outline and, and my thoughts on his outline. He said there are four things. There's charity. We see that in our text. We see that there's unity. That's pretty clear in our text. But then there's also diversity. And then, above all, there is maturity. Maturity. That likes, means you become a responsible adult and get married and multiply. So the first thing to see uh, in our text is this. Uh, there's charity. Uh, what does it mean to, to, to be a believer? It means you're a charitable person. Uh, and uh, charity for y'all that are uh, under the age of 30 means you kind of like love people. Okay? Notice what he says in our text. If you look back at verses 1 uh, through 3, look at it. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, walking is exactly what you see in the Proverbs. Uh, the life of wisdom is this walk. It's not some Greek idea you go to Sunday school class and you get it up in your head and you become a reformed person. And, that's, and therefore, no, it is this walk. Living life out together. And if you don't have a lot of wisdom and you've done a lot of foolish things and you're boneheaded, then, then you're not walking in the way. Is a Christian. But he says, Well, worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why would that be his application? He said all these great things about us being adopted, given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance to come. And then he tells us and exhorts us that we are to work hard at maintaining the unity. Now why would he tell us that? I mean, after all, we're born again people. We know Jesus Christ. We're new creations in Christ. Why in the world would he tell us that we have to work now? Well, let me tell you, one of the sad realities in my own year life was that I, I, was, uh, I was converted when I was uh, 17 years old. I truly was converted. I've never been the same. And uh, I was so, so impacted by the reality of Christ's substitutionary death, not for everybody, but for me, at least. It changed my life. And so I was committed when I went off to college to be a very serious believer. But I had to learn that being a Christian is actually becoming aware of your sins. I thought that after a while, that my, because I didn't have good theology, I'm mean, reading the Bible, but I thought my option was either really try hard and be a hypocrite and look down your nose at everybody. And I hated that. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, what's wrong with these people? They go to movies. 
And uh, they, drink, uh, they drink beer and wheat beer, and now they drink thousands of different kinds of beers. But um, uh, th- that was way back then. And, uh, and so, but then I thought the other was to fall to despair. It's like, I want to be a Christian. I really want to honor Jesus Christ with my life. But you know what? I don't like people. <laughs> people make me mad. And I'm supposed to be humble and gentle and kind. And thank God I came across Martin Luther because I'm getting ready to go, this is, I wish I'd never become a Christian. I felt like a schizophrenic. Until Martin Luther, Martin Luther informed me that we, as Christians, are at the same time justified and wicked. And so, I, as I began to study more, I realized that what I've been told of uh, the Christian life of let go and let God. You ever heard that one? Good luck on that one. I'll tell you where you'll go. You'll go to your flesh. Or the... the the search, and if you're charismatic, I love you, I, I do appreciate you, I just don't agree with the second baptism of the Holy Spirit, because you're looking for that experience that's going to get me over the hump, where one day I will love everybody, and I'll be just like Jesus Christ. But then as I study the scripture, I begin to understand, and you've heard me say this before, but the, 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 what Martin Luther nailed on the Wittenberg uh, church door the 95 Thesis, number one was the Christian life is a life of repentance. Now where do we see this in the Scriptures? Because I'm telling you, if you don't understand this, you, you will not participate in the body of Christ. Because you know what? You'd have to deal with me then. You have to deal with one another and go, man, I really don't like them that much. You'll have to deal with uh, people who have different gifts. And if you're really uh, like an organized person, you go nuts over people that aren't organized. And if you're a big picture person, you just go nuts over people who are organized. That's just one small example. But Paul says this, and and I want you to think about this, because if we're going to have fellowship, you need to understand this is the way it works. Okay? Uh, Paul says in Galatians... uh, Chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Now, yes, we've been set free. Why? Because Christ has paid for your sins. If you're in Christ, the penalty of sin is removed because every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit, if you're a believer, has been nailed to the cross. And so now you have citizenship papers, and you have to look at them every now and then to go, okay, you chose me, not me choosing you, because I don't feel like I want to choose you right now. But the reality is that there is indwelling sin. And so if you say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and and, uh, I've trusted in him, and you continue to gnarl on everybody, or to not participate in the body of Christ, then you know what? You're acting in the flesh. I mean, you can be set free, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul goes on further, and I wish I had time to exegete uh, Galatians 5, but he says, listen to what he says, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Who's he talking to? 
believers. For the desire of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desire of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, so why, why do we have to love each other? I'll tell you why we have to love each other is because they're still indwelling sin. And if I get to know uh, anybody on any row that's here, and if I got to know you, you wouldn't want me to know you the way you know you. You'd be embarrassed. But me, on the other hand, <laughs> no. None of us would want to be known, right? N- none of us would want to be known. But you see, if you understand your constant need of, uh, of forgiveness and repenting is not penance, it's looking to Christ and being filled with Him, then love covers a multitude of sins. You know what kills the church is pride. You know, what, you know how you're killing the church and I'm killing the church is your own pride and arrogance. That I'm right and I have to be right. My mother's wrong, my daddy's wrong. and Of course they are. So are you. But you see, when you know that you're loved, you have to love. Now, I've learned this over the years. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 60 years old, and I hate to tell you younger people, it gets harder because you don't have the energies that you used to have to operate out of the flesh, do you? So that's the first thing. Y'all see that in love? Strive together. You know what? Because you're a justified sinner, just like me. And you need to kill the sin so the love can come out. That's about the only way I know to do it. So busy killing my own sin, I don't have time to get around to everybody else's. Here's the, here's the second thing. Charity, but then there's also unity. Do y'all see that in verses 4 and following? He, now he's going to give you a reason why we need to strive for unity and being one and being gentle and humble. And it's very clear He says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know why he's telling us that we need to be one? Is first off, we are the body. And if we're the body, you can't divide your body up. And if you now, if you're not united to Christ, you're not part of the body. Okay, this will not this will not relate to you. But you can't separate your body. I can't cut my hand off and put it over there and expect that hand to survive. So Paul uses this a lot in First Corinthians twelve. Y'all know that passage, don't you? There's there's a one one head, uh, one body, many parts of the body, and we all need each other. Oh, we need those who have the gift of faith, and we need those who have the gift of giving, and we need those who have the gift of evangelism, and, and everybody has a gift within the body of Christ. But he's saying the reason that we need to strive for, for uh, being connected is because you can't divide your body up. Now, why does Paul use this term? The others don't. Well, as I looked at this, and I didn't come up with this on my own like hardly anything I do, but, but, but the Apostle Paul, one of the commentators said it was probably because when he met Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus, Jesus' question to him was, Paul, why dost thou persecute me? Why did he do that? Jesus has already been persecuted. He's raised from the dead. He's in heaven. Well, let me tell you, 
He's in heaven, but he's united to the church that's already gone to heaven, but he's also united to his own people. And when we suffer, he suffers. And so the Apostle Paul uses this term of the body, basically saying that if one of us hurts, all of us hurts. Let, let, me, um, let me go straight to the application on this. Uh, some might say, well, I don't see a whole lot of unity in the body of Christ. You know, John 17, Jesus says, Father, I pray that they might be one as we're all one. And then we look at, you got Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics and Methodists and non-denominational. We've got all these different groups of people. So people could be quite skeptical about that and go, well, where is their unity this here? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the unity uh, is not the organization. I mean, if you start there and say, oh, well, we just need to correct everything and we all get along together. No. Matter of fact, Paul is very clear about what starts the body of Christ is the truth. Uh, in other words, unity is not the main point of the book. It is a natural outflow of those who are in chapter 1 and 2 who have been united to Christ. So can I have unity with somebody that doesn't believe the Apostles' Creed? No. Can I have unity with people who say they're Christians but they deny the virgin birth? They deny the death of Christ as an atoning sacrifice? That they deny that Christ is raised from the dead and that he's coming again? There's millions of people out there that believe that. And so what are we supposed to do? Correct all that? I can't solve that problem. But let me tell you where unity comes. Unity comes if you believe these things. What the Scripture says about Christ. And you see, if, if, you're, if you're here today and you're a Baptist and you're not a Presbyterian, I have a whole lot more unity with you if you believe in all these things and look to Jesus Christ than I do Presbyterians where I served with at Vanderbilt who believe none of it. You see, unity is not something we can create externally. It's not about getting the organization together. Unity comes from the head who is Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this. Are you united to Christ? I'm not asking you whether you're baptized. I'm not asking you if you're Reformed or Catholic. I'm asking you, are you united to Christ? Are you one with Him? Well, thirdly, there's charity and there's unity, but then there's diversity within the body. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, philosophers, they always struggle with the one and the many, the one and the many. <laughs> okay, if all you do is oneness without the many, then you end up being monolithic and you end up being sameness like we're headed in many ways as a culture. But then on the other hand, if you go to the other extreme... Uh, and, and there's no oneness, there's no truth, there's nothing pulling things together, and all you have is chaos. All you have is anarchy. But you see, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we see here in our text is we have the one and the many. One faith, one hope, one Lord, one baptism. One head of the church. And then who are the many? I'll tell you who the many are. Not you who are baptized with water but not baptized with the Spirit. 
The many are all those around the world, the church universal, who by God's grace have put their faith and trust in Him. And so, far be it that being a Christian, we're all the same. No, man. (laughs) It's within the body of Christ that we see this incredible diversity. It's within the kingdom of God that we see this incredible diversity. The Apostle Paul says that we've been given gifts. Charismata is the word. If you're born again, now, by the way, if you're not a Christian, God gives gifts to everybody, Christian or not a Christian. You might have the gift of making money. You might have the gift of eloquence. Uh, Matter of fact, there are a lot of men who've gone in the ministry who are quite eloquent as speakers, but they don't have the gift of the Spirit. But let me tell you, if you are a Christian, our text tells us that Jesus Christ came down to this world and he conquered our enemy, who's Satan. He conquered the law on our behalf. He's, we, we're bound by our own conscience and he came and he conquered and he, and he killed it and he put it to death and he's raised from the dead and he gives this illustration of a king who's conquered and he comes into the city and he's got all this stuff that he's taken captive and he's given it away as a gift. Do you know your gift? Why not? Or if, it, it, or if you do, kind of know your gift? Are you using your gift? And I'll tell you this, you cannot use your gift apart from being members of the body of Christ. I'm just telling you. I mean, you can go and you can work with different people, but it's within, because that is what God has ordained. Uh, now, if you're members of Redeemer, th- this is your church. This is where you practice that. If you're members of Watkinsville First Baptist, that's where you practice that. Uh, if you're members of Faith Presbyterian, that's where you practice that. I can't say other churches because some churches in this town I don't believe I can have unity with because they're not preaching the gospel. I know those are, and there are many others as well. Okay, so don't try to guess which ones I'm thinking. Just go there sometime and you'll know what I'm talking about. Now, what is the purpose of all these gifts? Let me tell you what the purpose of the gifts is. not so you can go, oh, man, you're, I'm a gifted person. It's so that you can serve. I mean, Jesus is very clear that my people serve me. Now, if you're like me, a lot of times you resist it. (laughs) A lot of times you can just go, ah, you know what? I know I ought to call that person. I ain't calling them today. So I understand that. You say, I understand. I'm, I'm not saying that we're all perfect people here. Yes, we're all on all the time. But, what, but let me tell you, you know the churches that are vital and alive and where people come in and go, wow, this is different. I'll tell you the churches where her people are understanding the gospel, their union with Christ, and they're serving. And you know who's a drag on this church? Are you people that aren't doing that? You know who's a drag? You youth people, you guys in youth group, high school junior. You know who's a drag on the youth group? Those who, don't, who are resisting the gospel. Versus, hey, we're, it's our youth group. We need to reach the youth in Athens for Jesus Christ. But you won't do that if you don't have the life. It's a very important question. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to call me and say, you know, I don't think I've been too involved here. Can I, can I really, 
I want to know more what that means. And then lastly, and I have to be very brief on this, so there's charity, unity, diversity, and then notice the purpose of all this is maturity. Notice what the goal here of preaching of the gospel day in and day out, week in and week out, and going and hearing the preaching of the word of God and going to Bible studies in small groups. Notice what he says. So he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So that you mature. And then he says, if you mature and you're beginning to be grounded in the gospel, if you mature, Then he goes on to say that you will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. Can I tell you this? I'm just telling you. If you're here today and you think that maybe you're a step ahead because you're somewhat skeptical of the church, let me tell you what you are. You're you're tossed to and fro. You've never grown up. You're just like the, the... uh, the Pharisees, and when Jesus said, you know what, uh, John the Baptist, uh, he, uh, he fasted and you said he had a demon, and here I am, I'm feasting, and you say I'm a glutton. I can't please you people. <laughs> you understand that? But we're to grow and to mature. Such immature Christians are of no value to the church. And you say, well, how would I know that? Let me ask you this. Do you have a mind of your own? Or do you have the mind of Christ? You you get get what I'm saying here? Do you have a mind of your own? Or do you have the mind of Jesus Christ? You know what his mind is? He humbled himself and became naked on a cross for our sake. That's our Lord. That's our standard. Somebody put it this way. Maturity is to maintain. uh, Immaturity is instability. And maturity is is to maintain the body of Christ in love. Listen to this, and I'm, I close. Truth and love, yeah, those two things go to hand, are necessary to grow. I, I mean, I'm sure sometimes y'all go, man, how? He's always hammering away. <laughs> my job. To make sure you don't perish. It's my job. So there's the truth. But it's truth and love are necessary to grow. Some are interested in truth. And thank God for those who love truth. But if all you are is truth and you're no love, all you are is a hard person. But if all you are is all love and no truth, all you are is a soft person. It's truth and love upon which we will be members of his body encouraging and building up that we might bring the kingdom of God to Athens. Do you want to see the kingdom of God come to Athens? I do. I would like to see two or three or four people converted every week. We see people converted. But I think if we would be the body of Christ and all of us put all hands on deck, I really believe we'll see lots of people come across. Let's pray together.